This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Now, that kind of talk this week dragged Australia's share market to a two-year low. There are, of course, complex reasons for that. He was the big spender. The big spender. Doing the grocery shopping could take a huge chunk out of the family budget. And that's finance. Hello and welcome to Comedian vs. Economist. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam, and we're joined as always by my little older brother and real-life economist, Thomas. Hi, Thomas. Yeah, g'day, Adam. How are you going? Uh, doing pretty good, thank you. Don't forget, if you're still looking for a present for Christmas for somebody, uh, the Equity Mates Get Started Investing book available online at Booktopia and all good bookshops. Thomas, before we get into the show today, there's a couple of listener uh, emails that came through that, uh, that I love because they're a little quirky. Richard sent us an email, cve at equitymates.com. He says, uh, Scott Phillips and Andrew Page from the Motley Fool podcast have been referred to as the Roy and HG in, of investing. So I was thinking about names for yourselves and I came up with the Bert and Ernie of macroeconomics. <laughs> Thomas, <laughs> thoughts on Bert and Ernie? Oh, uh, that is good. That's, <laughs> I'll pay that. That's good. <laughs> the question is, which what, who's who? Like, uh, yeah. am I Bert? I don't know no, which one's yeah. which. Ernie was the Ernie was the cool guy. That's obviously me. Ernie was the cool one. That's true, but he was the one always getting into trouble and annoying Bert a that's, lot. So yes. I think that actually, yeah, <laughs> I think it does line up. Uh, I would have also accepted Statler and Waldorf from the Muppets, <laughs> but I'm not sure we're quite at that vintage yet. It's rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's my goal when I'm older. That's that's the vibe I'm going to be going for is the Statler and Waldorf of the Muppets. <laughs> Gus sent us an email too, uh, cv at equitymates.com. He said, how come the non-economist one sounds slightly Kiwi? Is it some kind of Adelaidean thing? I'm not sure what to be most offended about by this question <laughs> because <laughs> I'm not a Kiwi for a start. Not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> love love our, our dear friends across the ditch. But he referred to me not once but twice as the non-economist. <laughs> <laughs> the podcast is literally called Comedian versus Economist. <laughs> and he couldn't bring himself to call me a comedian. So thanks, Gus. Appreciate you tuning in. We'll rebrand in the new year as <laughs> Economist versus the non-economist Economist one. versus non-economist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I don't know why I sound like a Kiwi. I'm sorry if that's coming through. And maybe I don't know. Adelaide, obviously, we were free settled, so we're obviously much a higher class than the rest of Australia. Oh, uh, maybe come on, you grew up in, in Darwin. <laughs> <laughs> Adelaide's changed you, man. <laughs> uh, South Australian born, baby. Uh, all right, massive show coming up, Thomas. Let's get into it. Mm. If the cap fits, wear it. Unless it's a gas price cap. 
then I'm not sure what oh. to do with it. We'll find out. Uh, the NACC, the National Anti-Corruption Commission, Bill got up this week. Find out what that means for your protection money payments. Who do you have to pay now? Uh, <laughs> fake meat is on the nose despite having significantly longer shelf life than regular meat. We'll take a look at what's happening there. But first, Thomas, inflation data was out last week. Two questions. Mm. One, how was the inflation data party? And two, what did we learn? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it was good. It was good news, actually. Yeah, oh, we, good um, party. we got the uh, yeah, good party. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we were done by ten. It was good. It was good night. <laughs> <laughs> we got the, the monthly CPI, so we're still we're still learning. This is new for the ABS. We right. n- normally used to get uh, CPI quarterly, and we're one of the last nations in the world to go to monthly. given it's one of the most important data sets out there and it's all digital. It was hard to know what was holding that up. But um, (laughs) I don't know, if you peek behind the curtain at some of these big (laughs) institutions, there's a lot of legacy tech going on there. It would have been been some Java version from 2003 (laughs) that was (laughs) preventing the upgrade to monthly inflation data. Uh, And to be fair, the ABS has had a lot of funding cuts recently, quite a bit through the Morrison government. So shout out to all our friends at the ABS doing mm. great work. Uh, yeah, we've got monthly CPI for October. That showed C- headline CPI at 6.9%. That was compared to 7.4% that was expected. So that was significantly uh, softer than expected. Mm. Um, yeah, trim mean also, which is you know our key measure, that was 5.3% versus 5.7% expected. So also coming off quite a bit. Right. Um, and food was the big driver. So food prices are now down 50%. Uh, on where they were a year ago. That deflation in food prices is, mm. is driving disinflation in the headline numbers. Is this a bit like the housing crash that we're in though, like where housing went up 30% yeah. and now it's like, mm. oh, it's going down 15%. Like is the food story the same thing where food just went gangbusters and now mm. it's coming back off a bit but it's still kind of back, is it back on trend? Is that the right terminology? Yeah, yeah. I have zero information about that. I don't really know. But it doesn't really matter because when we're talking about inflation, we only care about the growth rate. So when the RBA is looking right. at at the at prices, you know, they've got a, a mandate for stable prices. Mm. They don't care about the levels. They only care about the growth rates. And it's the growth rates that really throw things around because mm. that's what interest rates and everything key off. So... Yeah, okay. it could, could still be at a high level, but the, if it's slowing down or deflating, then mm. good news as far as the headline numbers are concerned. Is inflation then peaking? Are we hit the top? Are we, we've reached the summit? It's certainly starting to look that way. And if you look at look at the interesting thing is all of the supply chain bottlenecks that, that were driving inflation over the past couple of years, mm. they seem to have largely moved through the system. So Goldman Sachs has a bottleneck, bottleneck index. Really? Yep. Like, is this a new thing? Is this part of the upgrade? Uh, <laughs> uh, I've only seen charts going back to February 2020, so yeah. I'm not, not entire. It might be a new thing. Okay. I mean, it, no, it wasn't an issue. Bottlenecks wasn't a concept mm. until until COVID hit. You know, yeah. no one was really, no one was talking about it until then. So, yeah. so that they've somehow constructed an index. I don't know what's under the hood of that, but um, the index was around two. I don't know what these numbers mean, but you know, <laughs> focus, focus on the relativity. If we keep going the way we're going, we're going to have to call it non-economist versus non-economist. <laughs> <laughs> it was a two, 
in February 2020. It got to a peak of 10 at the start of this year. That was the worst it got to. Right. Uh, and it's now down to 3.7. So it's come off significantly over the past, you know, 10 months, Three months. 3.7 bananas. bananas. Like we don't Something. know what the, like this is, yeah. is 10 bad? Well, we it's definitely, it's, so. it's much bigger than 3.7. <laughs> If you know the relativities, the levels don't matter. <laughs> well, yeah, but yeah, true. It was it was two pre-COVID. It was two, right? It got up, it got up to ten, but it didn't exist. This index, <laughs> they just made up the index. It, yeah. COVID, yeah, yeah. But there's some mm. kind of measure, like okay. I don't know. It, it is, true. but yeah. you, you're seeing this in all the things. So container shipping rates, the yeah. cost of sending a container from China to America, that was at eighteen thousand five hundred dollars in September twenty one. Hmm. That's now down to two thousand five hundred. So oh, that's bargain. yeah, bargain. Oh. That's that. So that's come off a long way. It's more expensive if you put things in the container, though. Then it really starts to add up. I don't think it does. <laughs> I think it's, it's not, really. It's, yeah, they don't weigh it. You can't tell me. It's <laughs> <laughs> like going buying some yogurt at Yogurt where you have to like you can just fill up your thing first, then you take it to the counter. Surely it costs more to send a full container than an empty one. I don't reckon. We'll I've to. only ever seen prices quoted. Oh, it's not that. per kilogram. It's just per yeah. container. That's the price rate. We'll get, yeah. the, we'll get the reset. 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 Get them onto it. I'm going to be busy this week. All right. So it's consistent. You, I mean, you're seeing this in the earnings calls, the number of uh, earnings calls mentioning supply chain bottlenecks has come right mm. off. Yeah, so it's, it definitely definitely does seem to suggest the supply chain bottlenecks are passing through. Mm. And then that's that's making sense of the of the inflation numbers, which are softening. Okay. And you look through to, to 2023, the sort of the key risks for inflation remain with rent. So rental prices are going through the roof. They're still right. growing above 10%. And we haven't, you know, immigration starting to come back. And we're not building any more houses, so that's going to put more pressure on the rental market. So we're going to keep seeing rental prices grow strongly. And then you are energy. Energy is the other one in that story. And we've already locked energy futures prices are locking in some big increases in energy. Right. But but apart from those two, it's mm. looking like we're kind of looking at a, a disinflationary environment into 2023. Which I think then means that the RBA is going to be looking at this and be like, eh, maybe we can maybe we can chill out a bit. He doesn't strike me as someone who's firing on all cylinders, Phil. Though, though, he's um like he's not he's not you know some people are just highly strung. He's like, yeah, he's he's just taking it easy already. Um, so <laughs> did you catch his apology at the um? There's an economics committee. Believe it or not, no, I didn't tune into the economics committee. Oh, you missed was, that one. Yeah. <laughs> you were watching I the soccer a, I would have had a thing on at school, yeah. a concert. Yeah. <laughs> you got up at 5 a.m. to watch <laughs> yeah, Australia versus Argentina, but couldn't, couldn't be asked watching head of Australia's most important economic institution. Mm. Now, someone asked him if, if he was sorry that um, for misleading the Australian public on his no rate hikes until 2024 call, mm. and he and he said, "I'm sorry if people listen to what I, what we said." <laughs> ah, yes, the old non-apology. No, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry if people <laughs> listen to the words we said and assume they meant what we they thought they meant. You can't just assume that the head of the RBA knows what's happening with rates. <laughs> <laughs> Despite <laughs> forecasting and saying, look, rates are going to stay where they are till 2024. As soon as you hear that, you go, hang on. But, but what would he know? What would he know? It's <laughs> out of his hands. <laughs> All right, Thomas, we're going to talk about a gas price cap. We've been talking mm. about intervention in the gas market for a while. 
are we finally going to see some action? What's happening? Yeah, it's it's looking like we might. So when this podcast comes out on Wednesday, that's when uh, the government's expected to meet and make an announcement around introducing a price cap on gas. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been talking about this for six or nine months, I think. Not us in particular. Uh, yeah, no, we talked about gas reservation yonks ago. Oh, you did, yeah. Yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> You didn't consider yourself party to that, to that conversation. I was here. I was <laughs> no, I'm sure listeners out there have been taking much more notice than I have. But yeah. yeah, okay, good. It is a bit like talking to a brick wall sometimes, <laughs> these conversations. So if you, as you might remember, mm. gas prices are through the roof with the war in Ukraine. Um, that's feeding through into electricity prices. We're looking at potentially you know, 20% this year, another 20% next year. So electricity prices 40% higher than what they were. That's hurting households. The other key thing to remember is this hurts most businesses since all businesses run on electricity pretty mm. much. Yeah, it, it hurts every everyone in the economy. But Australia produces a crap ton of gas and coal, but we export it all and, mm. and then end up paying, you know, global prices for our domestic coal and gas, and those prices are through the roof with the war in Ukraine. So sort of the situation that people have been talking about, like this is a, this is a bit ridiculous. We have a, a natural advantage in gas and, and energy, but we're squandering that so gas producers can make tons of money. Right. And they've been and they've and they've been crushing it, absolutely crushing it this this time. And so that whole story is a bit ridiculous. You look at Western Australia. Western Australia has a domestic reservation for West Australian yeah. gas. They haven't got anywhere near the kind of inflation we got. They're, they're talking about electricity prices going up two to three percent next year. That's Hang what, on, does, what's the relationship between gas and electricity? Gas makes electricity. Yeah, it's like with coal. I get coal mm. like coal fired power stations, but they use gas yeah. to produce electricity as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. I think there's something like coal's two-thirds of production and then gas is maybe 20-odd percent and then renewables is another 10, 15, something. I don't think I knew that. That's, I say that with not a lot of confidence, but I don't think I knew that gas was used to make electricity. Yeah, right, right. It's sort of like the, they talk about it being the marginal price setter in the market So because oh. coal just takes so long to go on and off, I think. So, so yeah, gas right. is sort of controls the margin. Mm, okay. Yeah, so Western Australia with the reservation, they're looking at electricity prices going up 2 to 3% next mm. year. The rest of the nation is looking at 40% yeah, inflation wow. in electricity prices. If we get that, that feeds through to inflation. Modelling I've seen mm. talks about it being adding 3 to 4 full percentage points to inflation. So you've got an inflation target of 2 to 3%. You're getting 3 to 4 out of just out of electricity prices, right. which means that the RBA has got to keep rates higher for longer. Even though the bottle shop index might come down. No, the bottle. <laughs> bottle, the bottle. God, you really <laughs> the don't bottle. listen, do you? <laughs> the bottleneck index might come down. Sorry, my mind was elsewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Like in the last break when we we're talking about alcohol, <laughs> I was just doing, I was just doing an online order at Dan's for some <laughs> some Christmas wines. <laughs> <laughs> so even though the bottleneck index might come down, mm. we're still looking at inflation through gas prices. Yeah, potentially. So, potentially, so, that, so potentially. the RBA might keep rates high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So not not right. only will we be paying a lot for electricity, we'll also have higher rates because of it. Right, but we could avoid this whole situation by 
like reserving some of the energy that we're exporting to the rest of the world for ourselves. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And part, and so the mechanism that there's different ways that that could be an export levy, price cap, domestic reservation, they all kind of do the same thing in an economic Mm. sense. The mechanism that the government seems to have landed on is a price cap and they're looking to bring that in today. The expectation is it's going to be around $12 a gigajoule. Right. You know, so that's, that's a cap. It's, it, it's effective because the futures markets and current prices are higher than that, mm. but it's still 400% higher than where, where it was before the war in Ukraine broke out. Yeah, right. So, you okay. know, gas producers should still be doing pretty well at, that, at those prices. And are they keen on it? I mean, are they, I mean, obviously not keen on it because it's going to cut in their profits somewhat, but are they yeah. open to no. it? Are they kind of being dragged, kicking and screaming into this? this thing or that do they have a say even they're going pretty hard they're going pretty right. hard and the context here is that in 2010 when um the government tried to bring in a super profits tax on oh, yeah. them on the miners they launched a massive campaign and it was one of the key factors in the downfall of the gillard government right and so and that's sort of what a lot of analysts are saying labor's pretty scared to go hard against the miners because they got massacred last time with it <laughs> democracy in action yeah <laughs> Yeah. Don't fight them because they'll flog you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Excellent. S- small, like a handful of companies, like half mm. a dozen at the most. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it's okay. a pretty, it's a pretty uh, sad day for democracy, but that's where it's at. So, but they've been, they've been going harder the past week, lobbying against the price cap and telling anyone who listens that it'll be a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. I've seen five particularly stupid arguments out of these miners about why it's a bad idea. Mm. I mean, I'll go through them. Sure. Give them to me. Can you number yeah. them as well? Just like, can you okay. num- can you any chance you can order them from like like least controversial to most controversial? How about I go from least to most stupid? Yes, excellent. Okay, so number one, number one is that it would freeze investment. Okay. So Wood, Woodside's CEO Meg O'Neill was saying that it would withhold new gas investment. We'd struggle to see new investments be competitive with those sort of price levels. Mm. That would also say that the Australian government would suffer a black mark. It would make us investing in Australia riskier than other jurisdictions where you've got confidence in the stability of the fiscal regime for the long haul. She sounds, there's, there's certainly educated sentences. Yes. Why is that a stupid idea? Well, because we're talking about a, a price cap of $12, mm. right? So tw- that's, that's still a wartime price. Right. Before that, it was $4. Ah, okay. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. you know, so if you, if you can't make it work at $12, when the war ends, which it inevitably will one day, one way or another, mm. if it doesn't stack up at twelve dollars, it doesn't stack up outside of a, outside of the wartime mm. reality. Yeah, okay. So you know you shouldn't be investing on for a long term project like a gas field on the assumption that the war in Ukraine lasts forever. Mm. That's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like like buying Doge at its peak. <laughs> Just, yeah. <laughs> Don't assume it's going to stay there. Yeah. No, no, you can't. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And, and we, also, we also know the ACCC has looked at the break-even costs in some of Woodside's projects mm. and they're sort of between $3 and maybe $9 at the most. Right. So $12 is not restrictive. Okay. So it's just like pff, whatever, like. All right, number two. We'll, no, we'll, number we'll two. Okay, firms, are, firms are going to exit the market. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. don't, don't get me started. <laughs> 
Yeah, number right. two firms are going to exit the market. Right. They're going to, you know, you got the producers just leave the market. That doesn't make any sense. Mid Mid Ocean, the big uh, energy company owned by EIG, mm. they just put in that monster bid for Origin. Their CEO has already said they're they're perfectly comfortable with price caps right. or some kind of intervention. They're happening at every market they're operating in. Right now, there's a battle over Warrego Energy, which is a small West Australian gas producer. So Kerry Stokes and Gina Reinhart are in a bidding war for that at the moment. Right. They, they want to buy the company. Hancock prospecting this, Gina's company put a bid in and, and the, board, the board said, yep, we should accept that, recommend it to shareholders, we should take that. Kerry Stokes came in offered a higher bid. Hancock came back and offered a bid that was 22% higher than what they already had. Right. Everyone wants gas assets because they're just super profitable, even with the prospect of even, yeah, right. price caps coming in. Because it's pretty, like, I guess there's an overarching theme here, which is, you were fine two years ago making money at, you know, $3. Three or $4. Three or $4, yeah. Like it's, it's, big, it's a big leap to go, well, now what it's like this unprofitable at $12 somehow. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. it's pretty yeah. tough to hold water. But, uh, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't hold any water. Mm. Yeah. Right. Okay, so number three is that it creates sovereign risk. So I don't know if you've heard this term, sovereign risk, mm. is the idea that you just can't trust the regulatory settings in a, in a country and that makes it un, uninvestable. They're just, the industry is comparing Australia to Argentina, says so we don't want to go down the road of Argentina. Again, very stupid argument. I mean, one, we're sort of saying, like, what is the sovereign risk here? Like, if we allow electricity prices to, to soar out of control, mm. we hollow out our entire economy because our manufacturers can't compete, the, you know, the cafe can't compete, becomes unprofitable. So you hollow out, you kill off the domestic economy for what? To save six or seven produces mm. their blood money profits. Like it's, it's, it's a dumb like argument to make. Mm. Now the other thing we're talking about like sovereign risk, like you look at who owns Santos, like it's, you know, it's an Australian company, but like the biggest single shareholders, EENN Energy, which is a Chinese company. All right. And so you're sort of talking about like, so what we're trashing the Australian economy and hollowing it out just to support mm. chi- like Chinese companies. Like really that's, Mm. You know, it's hard to make a sort of a, that's a good outcome from a sort of a geostrategic perspective. Mm. Yeah, right. Mm. Okay. So dumb, dumb argument, Mm. but it gets worse. All right, good. Yeah. Number four, it hurts Aussie companies overseas. So Karen, Karen Maley in the AFR ran this article and i got to say, I like, I like, I like the AFR. It's my, it's my go-to point for financial news, Mm. but they have been useless on this topic. (laughs) Worse, worse than useless. (laughs) Just in case anyone thought that you plugging them was some sort of paid endorsement. <laughs> it's really disappointing because, you, you know, you, every other business in the economy is taking a hit to protect the super profits mm. of the mining companies. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the AFR representing the business community should be going into bat for the entire rest of the Australian economy, mm. not for a handful of companies, which is what they've been doing. Yeah, right. It's, yeah, it's really weak. Right. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, Karen Maley, who is all, who is usually awesome, I'm a mm. big fan of her, but I think she's been told to write this article. She's saying like it hurts Aussie companies overseas. So if, if an affluent developed country like Australia thinks it's fine to respond to rising gas prices by changing the rules, then surely developing countries in Africa or Asia are justified in following suit, changing conditions that apply to Australian minor countries operating in their, in their country. So he's kind of saying like if we do something sensible with gas prices, mm. other other nations might do something sensible with gas prices too. <laughs> like I kind of get it. Like you can't just change the rules. Like if someone, 
Like if I invest in, I don't know, a company, then mm. you're sort of doing it with a certain understanding that conditions are going to stay the same or that the playing field's not going to change. Like I don't have, I'm, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying I've got sympathy for the gas companies. But None of these companies invested money on the belief that there would be a war in Ukraine mm. that would see energy prices right. go up fivefold. Yeah, yeah. None of them invested money in that. Mm. They, there's a windfall gain that they've got for having done nothing other than just be in the pl- right place at the mm. right time when there was a war where thousands of people are dying. Mm. Like that's not an argument to, to keep having that money. And if it supports our national interests, are we really arguing that other countries in Africa and Asia shouldn't follow their own interests mm. just to support Aussie companies? I'm not, I'm not down with that argument at all. Yeah, but, but again, like and there's other countries, as long as we're not seen to be saying you can just change the rules whenever you want to support yeah, but, whatever but, but, agenda you're going for. I mean, in this case, you might, you're saying like the agenda is right, it's, it's doing the right thing. But what about down the road when someone wants to change the rules again, but for more nefarious purposes, they're like, we're going to higher taxes or something. Yeah, but no, no, no. You, that argument is sort of like the full free market ideology that government should never intervene in the markets ever. Right. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not down with that. Okay. Because we're suffering the consequences of, of doing nothing for six, nine months already. Right. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Number five. Yes, bring it. Number five, uh, we need the money to support consumers. So Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk mm. saying that um, he, she's, she's opposing it, saying I'm making Queensland's position very clear. Uh, our energy assets are working well in Queensland and we will not jeopardise the returns that are going back to Queensland households. Uh, they've recently <laughs> raised royalty payments. <laughs> Even I can see this one's a bit of a stupid <laughs> one. Yeah, we're using the money to subsidise Queenslanders' bills, mm. which amounts to $575 per household over the last four years. So just a bit over $100 a, a year. We're using the money to subsidise the outrageously high household bills that people are having to pay because we've not put a price cap on gas. We should, yeah. Excellent. Yeah, yeah that is, that's ridiculous. That is stupid, mm. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and AFR just reported it without without qualifying and saying this is stupid. Mm. No, we're looking after the yeah. people. As these ridiculous prices drive inflation through the roof and their gas prices are through the roof, but we're going to give them a subsidy to help with the with the price of gas. But it's going to keep but that is in doing so is going to keep inflation really high, which means that cost of living is going to stay really high. And interest rates. And interest rates will stay really high. Yeah. But here's a hundred bucks. You're welcome. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> don't say we don't do anything for you. All right, why don't we pause here? We'll grab a word from this week's sponsor and be back with more comedian versus economist right after this. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back. You're on Comedian versus Economist. You can, of course, send us an email, cve at equitymates.com or get us on Instagram and Facebook at CVE Podcast. And can I suggest doing so without delay if you're planning on it. So this week is our second to last episode for the year before we take a break over Christmas and do uh, lots of family stuff. Final show next week. So if you have been thinking about sending an email or sending a message uh, or you just want to, I don't know, share your uh, your Spotify wrapped uh, stats for the year, we'd love to see those, see whether we made it into your top five podcasts, for example. Tag us like, share, whatever you need to do. Um, we'd really appreciate it because we're just curious more than anything, but we really love the support. So, uh, yeah, if you've been thinking about it, get in touch. Uh, love to hear from you. Thomas, uh, the National Anti-Corruption Commission got a bill up this week. What's going on there? Yeah, this is this has been a long time coming, but thankfully we got up. I mean, remember that the Morrison government campaigned on this in 2018 mm. uh, and promised to bring in a, like a federal ICAC was what it was because the state bodies have their anti-corruption commissions. Yep. It's called ICAC in, in New South Wales. And then for the whole time Morrison was in government, just didn't happen. Mm. Finally, we've got we've got that up. Uh, shout out to Dr. Helen Haynes, who's an independent member for Indy. She's been doing awesome work on this for years now and really, really driving it along. So, And I think the great result that this is comes down a lot to her, so... Well done, her. Mm. Yeah, but yeah, finally we've got a, a federal level anti corruption commission, right. which is yeah, great news. Is it good? Means that, good. Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. Right. Yeah, it means that you know we can't do corrupt stuff at the federal level anymore without there being some recourse to justice. Mm. Yeah. Well, it sounds good. I mean, it sounds morally <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it sounds ridiculous. As someone who likes to pay cash for things, (laughs) (laughs) I just worry that this is a slippery slope of of big brother overreach. Yeah. Well, no, well, the federal (laughs) NACC is not coming for your builder who's asking you to pay in cash. Oh, good. (laughs) Don't have to worry. (laughs) Keep going. Keep working. (laughs) Yeah, brilliant. But no, it's, it's a good thing. It's a great thing. I mean, and like for, it's, it's a great thing for a lot of reasons, but it's a great thing from an economic perspective. Mm. Like the thing about capitalism is it does a lot of things well, but one of the key flaws that it has is that it concentrates wealth and power. Right. It just has a natural tendency to do that, to create monopolies. And then with, with economic power comes political power. And left unchecked, mm that's sort of what you, you end up with, these sort of greater concentrations in, and growing inequality and then with inequality, growing political inequality, which then erodes democracy is sort of like the end result. So you really need civic institutions to sort of pull back against that natural tendency in capitalism. Mm. And that's what this, so that's what this offers. And I think that that means that then the economy can work much better because once you once you, we know that when when economic power becomes unbalanced you get perverse economic outcomes mm. consumers get a raw deal Every, everyone gets a raw deal you get an investment in things that shouldn't get investment infrastructure that shouldn't exist so is this is this like the you know we heard of like the sports rorts and mm. all the kind of misdirected yeah. public funds this this is going to this is going to address all of that. Yeah, yeah, because up until now we've had no mechanism other than Parliament itself mm. to look into these. 
And then it, then it creates this thing, you know, like, so we, we recently had, you know, Morrison appointed himself to five mm. ministries secretly, yeah. which was a bit weird. So then we've got to look into that. And so that ha- if, if Morrison had been reelected, it wouldn't have happened. Mm. Like it, there would have been no inquiries in that. So then Labor launches the inquiry, but then it just looks like political payback. Mm. And so and so that doesn't really build trust in the system. So you do need an independent body to sort of step back and mm. so that people can trust it and go like, oh, yeah, let's give our federal politicians some oversight and so we can trust what they're doing. I think Scott Morrison's plan was that he was going to be the head of the National Anti-Corruption Commission as is in his capacity of sixth role mm. that he was, he was he had put forward. I think he named himself as all five commissioners <laughs> of the <laughs> NAC. <laughs> <laughs> he used his mother's maiden name, though, uh, just <laughs> to maintain independence from his other five roles for the government. He was going to be Scott Jones, head of the National Anti-Corruption That's Commission. That's right. ScoMo, Scotty M. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Thomas, finally on the show this week, Beyond Meat is in trouble. Was fake meat just a fad after all? Yeah. So, yeah, this I mean, this is one of the interesting stories of COVID. Mm. This is one of the market darlings for a while. Uh, it sort of really took off in COVID. At some point it was worth $10 billion, <sighs> a $10 billion valuation. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Beyond Meat, I don't know if you remember, we might have talked about it on the show. I can't. I can't remember. Um, as we've already discovered, I'm not good at remembering. <laughs> but Beyond Meat was that was their chief operating officer was one of the ones who was he was in trouble. He got arrested after he bit the nose of somebody in a car park after a college football game. Oh, whoa! He was one of four execs, I think, that was laid off. I mean, obviously the others probably not uh. for biting someone. <laughs> like he's hardly a glowing endorsement for fake meat products, is he? <laughs> it's like. He's just got a bit hangry. He's like, just, that's <laughs> <laughs> not a not a good look for a CEO of a major company, of a ten billion dollar company. I think I think if we yeah. look back at the trajectory and the share market movements, that's probably about the peak. And they started dropping off after he mm. attacked someone else's face with his mouth. Unless he yeah. was going like full Elon Musk kind of out there, visionary you know, like pushing the boundaries of what's possible. We're not imagining beyond hamburgers. We should be, like, what if we made human noses but out of fake meat? Just <laughs> like soy. think, think, people, think. This is the kind of, these are the these are the ideas we need going up. I want everyone on my desk with an idea for something that, is, that could be made out of fake meat that's currently made out of actual meat. So is it just beyond meat then? Is that is it, is it a- Yeah, well, well, I don't know. I mean, it's, I think that that company probably did get a bit bubbly. Mm. So share price is down 83% this year. Sales sales are tanking. It's laid off 20% of its workforce. Mm. Yeah, it's sort of and I think I think beyond meat as a thing is it has sort of like it exploded. Everyone was super excited about it mm. and now I think there's starting to be a little bit of pushback. I mean, oddly, I think it's become a bit of a political issue. Right. So people are talking about it being like woke, like the sort of <laughs> redneck pro-meat brigade <laughs> is complaining. Oh, man. It always happens. It always happens. It happened with like gay marriage. People came out and they're like, we can't allow this. This is an outrage. It's like you don't have to do it. You can just not yeah. get married to another man if you're a man. You can, you can keep your... Marriage between a man and a woman. We're just going to have 
these other people who can get to do what they want. Like, because it happened in yeah, there was yeah. some restaurant in the United States where there were like people getting angry and leaving angry messages going, I'll never be coming back to this restaurant now that you're serving fake meat. Like, woke, woke burgers, <laughs> I think they were calling them. I come here for woke burgers. I come here for woke burgers. <laughs> But yeah, so like it, yeah, it's copying a bit of pushback. Mm. But I, but I think like vegan veganism and vegetarianism is is a, is a trend that is is growing. Mm. McDonald's is is testing the Beyond Meat work burger. They're calling it McPlant. McPlant burger. Yeah, right. McPlant. Well, Burger King is going for the Impossible Whopper and Impossible Nuggets. The Impossible. That's a brand, isn't it? That's like another. That's a Beyond Meat alternative. Oh, is it? Yeah, I think so. So I think that Cracker Barrel oh, in the states right. they. They did impossible patties or something. Impossible sausage. Impossible. Ah, right. I just thought that was branding for fake meat. No, fake meat doesn't doesn't sell well. But this is the thing I don't get. I don't understand why they need to like pretend that it's like give it like a Beyond Meat or Impossible. Can't we just call it like plant? Food. I can't like plant food. It's food you give me the garden. But <laughs> it's veg- vegetables. Yeah, but like it, or, it, it makes it sound like you're trying to hide something up, you know, like giving it like an Im- uh, impossible right. burger. It's like, oh, is it is it like made out of meat mm. or is it not? Or like why don't you just sort of go, look, this is a plant-based burger. Well, it's like the dairy industry ty- tried to sue soy to stop soy calling itself milk. Right. Because dang it, because it's not actually milk, milk. Yeah. is defined by coming out of the udders of, of something. <laughs> and soy is not really milk, so it shouldn't be allowed to call itself milk. It was say, They argued it was fake advertising. Right. But I, I, think, I think they lost that case in the end. All right, so what's, what's the outlook for the non-meat industry, fake meat industry? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think, I think it's still finding its feet. I think, you know, the demand's there, mm. but we've just got to find the form that people like. Right. Uh, and can, that consumers are going to go for. And so I think like fake chicken seems to be picking up and doing well. Fake chicken? Yeah. A bit of a move to, from fresh to frozen. Right. As well. So, yeah, it's just finding the right forms. Yeah. Because you don't want, I mean, if you're going to eat fake meat, you don't want fresh fake meat. You want it, you want it snap frozen to keep it fresh. <laughs> <laughs> plucked, plucked straight from the soybean crop. Processed into something that looks like a hamburger, snap frozen, stuck in a deep freeze. Then that's that's how I like that's how I like my fake meat. Uh, all right, why don't we leave it there? That does us for this week. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in all year. As I say, it is our last episode next week. If you feel like sending us a message, we'd love to hear from you. CVE at equitymates.com uh, or via the website equitymates.com forward slash CV. You'll find us on Instagram and Facebook at CVE Podcast. Share us your Spotify wrapped posts if you if you like. We'd love to see those. But other than that, that's it for us. We will talk to you again next week. Bye for now. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697.
the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.